It seems to me that these changes are really stupid, that they have nothing to do with proper context, right? So let's say there is some kind of context you want to explain to the kids of today that the times were different back then. Well, then add a footnote. How about, how about, don't even add a footnote. If the book is out of print, it means it has not transcended the time. If the book is still in print, it means there's something in there that has, that goes beyond the time it was written, right? I don't know why they're having trouble letting that one go. Then don't read Charlie, Charlie in a Chocolate Factory. I mean, the entire book and is, is about naughty children. So I guess children aren't naughty anymore, right? They're incapable of being like that. The way they've been actually stealing children's um, innocence, they, there is no room anymore for being a, a child of, of any sort. I think that's what troubles me too. Welcome to the New Flash Podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Ricky Orpike, and joining me once again is Mr. Jonathan Astro. John, are you a big friendly giant? A, a big friendly giant. Um, again, I've got to just... Is this a code? Is this is this an offensive code? BFG. BFG. Well, I think Roald Dahl was talking about... He wasn't talking about, you know, an actual giant. He was talking about something in your pants. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I think I feel like, yeah, people, okay, people are upset about some other stuff that he said, and I wouldn't put it past him from what I've read. All right. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. But today, uh, we won't be covering any of that filth. Uh, necessarily, but but we will be covering the topic um, with our regular Amina Melonic. We always love to catch up with Mina. Can't wait. New Flesh regular Amina Melonic is an adjunct fellow of the Center for American Greatness. She's an unabashed cinephile and holds a PhD in comparative literature and three master's degrees in humanities and theology. Her work as a writer and critic has appeared in American Greatness, The Spectator, Law and Liberty, The New Criterion, The American Mind, National Review, and many more. Her last appearance on the show was in November 2022. That's episode 164 for those playing at home. We were discussing the uh, Hillary Clinton reality TV show Gutsy among other things which we're not going to talk about today. Amina, welcome back to The New Flash. (laughs) Thank you so much. And I'm so glad Hillary will not be discussed as well. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't expect us to speak about her for so long. Oh, no, no. (laughs) Clearly, because clearly none of us like her. So it's, you know. (laughs) Yes, that is funny. Uh, Well, we, we need to start by asking you about the children's author, Roald Dahl. Uh, I don't know if you've heard oh. about this story, but so so basically, yes, yes. Roald Dahl, the Roald Dahl estate, has come out with updated editions of his books. You know, book, books we all know and love: The Witches, Matilda, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But they've they've hired sensitivity readers and changed sections that the publisher deems offensive. So just a few examples here: boys and girls have been changed to just children. The cloud men in James and the Giant Peach are now cloud people. Uh, and in Fantastic Mr. Fox, his three sons have been changed to daughters. And I, I could go on. There have been hundreds of alterations. So what what's your read on all of this? So are, are we doomed to have all old literature updated and, and altered like this, do you think? <laughs> updated. I like that, right? That's what they call it. It's, uh, it's uh, moving in with the times, right? Um, I didn't know that it was three daughters that they changed it to that. That's very interesting, too. The one I saw was that the Augustus Gloop is no longer fat, but enormous. Yes. Um, I'm not really sure what the difference is there. <laughs> he's still fat. <laughs> and uh, he's still greedy. So, you know, there's, yes. there's, uh, there's that. No, I mean, it, is, it's a, it really is. I ha- I've hated when people use Orwellian, you know, a lot. 
but this, in this case, really is that, isn't it? In the fact that they're changing the language, the abuse and abuse of, of language. And um, trying to change some kind of, um, or I, I should say, real metaphysical reality, a real embodied reality in in the text here because they perceive in some way right that people are going to be offended by it um i'm wondering are there really people who are offended by it if they read fat people who would pick up a book for their children like charlie in the chocolate factory are presumably wanting to read this classic book right so they're not going to be offended by certain words to begin with so the only thing I'm thinking of is that they really want to, in some way, erase, erase history. And one thing I always wondered about these, what do they call sensitivity readers, right? I've heard mm. about this, this, um, uh, this sort of like notion or, or people even have companies that, that uh, offer these services. It was probably, I would say, five years ago. It was definitely a while ago where, when... Uh, um, I think there was some issue with Mark Twain, uh, which would, would, would be, of course, obviously, right? So um, in any case, I'm wondering often what goes on through their minds to th- whether they think that they actually are doing a service, right? Because sometimes people are convinced that they're being merciful of something, even though they're actually being destructive. So I don't know what you guys think. I mean, do you do you... Um, it's offensive. It's offensive to me that they're actually trying to change this, right? That's that's the first thing that's ridiculous. But are people really actually uncomfortable with with something like that of calling somebody fat? It's it's funny. I mean, I actually I actually did meet a, a parent who who has a child kind of the same age as as, as me. Uh, I think I think a six year old, and she expressed some reservations about the Roald Dahl literature because there were some some language about people being ugly and fat. So I actually have heard that from someone oh, okay. before. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'll concede that making some alterations to children's literature, you know, it, 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 making those changes is a different bag to changing adult literature, you know. But I guess another way to go would be to teach children about historical context when when reading these books. You know, I mean, you've you've got a son who's who's of an age to read uh, Roald Dahl. Do you think he could understand historical context if you if you explained it to him? You know, I mean, you you could say to oh, him that, that that in yeah. generations past, witches mostly worked as receptionists and supermarket cashiers. When now, you know, when they're not poisoning British children, but now they're top scientists and CEOs. <laughs> But they still poison kids on the side, you know. You could go down that road. I mean, that's that's what's so so ludicrous. Some of these changes—it's all, all about profession, right? Yes. Yeah, some of these changes. Yeah. I mean, I, I just mentioned the witches there. Like to change the the occupation of these witches, who I mean, their main occupation is killing children, but then their side hustle is you know working in a supermarket or being a receptionist. <laughs> but they've changed that now. They're you know they're. Um, they're business people and they're top scientists. Uh, well, I particularly liked that one, Ricky. They're not just scientists; they're top scientists. So, so they're the be- Like they've, they've got to make a point that they are the best, the best of the best. You know, mm. right? So, if you're the best, then you're evil. See, that's the thing. 
uh, maybe there's there's a little bit of that too, right? But 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 the changes they've made, the changes they've made seem really strange. They some of them seem mm -hmm. short term, uh, you know, because changing uh, a reference in Matilda to Joseph uh, from Joseph Conrad and Rudyard Kipling to Jane Austen and Hemingway and Steinbeck, isn't it only a matter of time before they all three of those are cancelled? I mean, aren't they, they all just cis white? Uh, you know, hegemonic evil powers themselves. So that'll change. And right. uh, some of the other changes, uh, as Ricky just pointed out, come across like they haven't read the books, that there's a dissonance there between the fact that, uh, you know, if you've read the books and you go, wait a minute, aren't these people evil? Like, you know, do we want to be, uh, why why, why is it important that, that they're, they're go-getter they're go women or something that and that they're killers? Like, isn't the point that they're killers? Right, right. So, like, the message of the fact that there's good and evil is completely lost. I shouldn't even say message, simply the, 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 the context of the or, the or the main substance of the book, you know, whatever it is, especially for children's literature. Um, there is, again, like, I, I don't, I cannot com quite comprehend the mind of a person who is sensitive to something like this. I mean, you're mentioning that you're, you know, you're, you've, you actually have heard people say that and I believe it, but I mean, I, I don't understand what would make you, first of all, think that, okay, let me, let me backtrack here a little bit. No, I don't think that bullying or calling somebody fat is a good thing. This is what they, what their reaction always is, right? Because I'm saying you, you can use the word fat. That means that you can call somebody fat. You can't call somebody fat. There's not nothing. Uh, there's no, there's no problem there. You can do whatever you want to do. But if you call somebody fat and they punch you in the face, don't be surprised that they did. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are repercussions for all these things that we say, right? If you're a bully and you're calling somebody that, that's that's not a good thing, obviously. But but I, I, this, this, uh, this goes beyond actually sensitivity because it, it's completely censorship. That's really ultimately what it is. Now, if you want to have a context of some sort, it seems to me that these changes are really stupid, that they have nothing to do with proper context, right? So let's say there is some kind of context you want to explain to the kids of today that the times were different back then. Well, then add a footnote or how about that? How about, how about, don't even add a footnote. If the book is out of print, it means it has not transcended the time. If the book is still in print, it means there's something in there that has, that goes beyond the time it was written, right? I don't know why they're having trouble letting that one go. Then don't read Charlie, Charlie and the mm. Chocolate Factory. I mean, the entire book and is, is about naughty children. So I guess children aren't naughty anymore, right? They're incapable of being like that. Um, the way they've been actually stealing people's or stealing children's um, innocence they there is no room anymore for being a, a child of, of any sort you know i think that's what troubles me too i think maybe from a more cynical point of view could it be just a marketing ploy to get some of these woke parents on board because uh, you know a lot of the parents who, who grew up reading roald dahl who love it they're going to read it to their children regardless so maybe it's a way of of i don't know bringing in some of these overly sensitive parents maybe because the book is not selling enough or something like that maybe um you know i, I don't know yeah that's a good point i mean i remember there was a there was that sort of controversy over dr seuss i forget which book it was but it was a it, it was a book that i think represented chinese people in a, in a strange way or something like that and um, there was a again a huge sort of controversy over that but it turns out that the book really has been out of print for the most part and 
you know, Dr. Seuss has written a lot of books. Not some of them were thinkers, you know. So the the good ones remain. Cat and Hat, and you know, Green Eggs and Ham. People still read that. <laughs> clearly, clearly, the other one didn't quite make it, right? So, but I think they they make these controversies perhaps bigger than they really are. And then, um, but in 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 this case, um, I'm, I didn't do entire research, but did they have they made these changes or are these changes proposed? No, I think they've made them. They've made them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. So then basically make sure you have, you know, the latest or, or the editions of those, of those books before these can come out. Right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You have to hunt out the, uh, the old versions, won't you? The old versions. Right. So one of the problems with this uh, situation is that, is that the people making these decisions are, are hidden from us and that their rationale is never, never made public. So some of these changes, as we've talked about, they seem flippant or inappropriate. Uh, and, you know, I think if they were made to, if Puffin, the, the publisher, was made to to argue their point, uh, I think they'd be a bit more cautious. Do you think that there's room for uh, transparency in how these alterations are decided upon? Doesn't seem like it, right? The fact that these people are making these decisions. I mean, how can, how can you know, uh, we ha- know what the estate of Roald Dahl is doing, right? There's that's that's impossible unless you're in some insider or something. Um, but I'm not sure whether transparency is the answer since these are, I would assume, in some way private decisions, decisions made by the estate and by private publishers. So in that sense, I don't think that's possible or maybe it shouldn't even happen, the transparency. But they're they're really kind of enacting uh, a pseudo intellectual assault you know i've 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 encountered assault on text in grad school when so many times literature and philosophy particularly literature would be used um, as a way to express certain theory or mostly ideology whether it's marxism or psychoanalysis or feminism etc and they would twist and turn the text but the text itself wasn't changed right they would just assault it in a different way this is a whole nother level of assault um, uh, on on culture, um, and I don't know. Are people bored with this? Are they are they frustrated? Like, are they um, um, are parents really having trouble sharing reality with their children as 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 how things are? I mean, are are they not reading them Greek myths? For example, are they just afraid of doing that or Grimm's fairy tales? These things are pretty dark. I mean, life is pretty dark, you know. So um, Greek myths are all about chaos and destruction and creation and, you know, all of those things that make us human. And maybe that's really the, the problem here. I'm not saying that Dahl is, 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 a, is the greatest, you know, literature. If one likes it, likes it, that's, that's totally fine. But I think that there is something of, of being human, you know, in, in his work. And so my problem is that they're taking away that um, very basic notion of what it means to be a human being. And so to not have words like boys and girls, that's like the height of stupidity and insanity, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it, it seems that uh, we are con- we're just getting further down the road of abstraction, 
you know, mm-hmm. and this and this has been happening for a long time. I mean, you experience apparently, you know, we read up on the the boldlerized uh, versions of of Shakespeare, which are these sort of uh, sanitized versions of Shakespeare they taught in the twentieth century. Or you think about the um, there's versions of of you know the Arabian Nights or Grimm's fairy tales that uh, mm-hmm. you know were 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 uh, you know censored or changed or altered. But but when it's only when you go back to the original texts that you that you recover the meaning of those texts, really, and and uh, in all their inappropriate uh, glory, like like all of the Grimm's fairy tales, some of them, some of the messages, I would argue, become meaningless when when, when you add enough water to the to the to the liquid. It, it, it and I think we're just witnessing it here. You know, when you take away, I mean, it seems really simple to 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 say, oh well, you can't call Augustus Gloop fat, but the thing is. I mean, on another level, have these ki- people ever, do they have kids? Kids know what fat is. Right. Like what's, yeah, like are we talking about, you know, we need a chart now of what's fat and what's not fat. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think everybody knows when they have a little too many pounds on them. Oh, m- mind you, I, when I went to the Smithsonian, I did see a very alarming graph that said that uh it was something like sixty-five percent of Americans are obese. So maybe Augu- maybe Augustus is, um, you know, by by uh, the Smithsonian standards, maybe he's a normal guy. Leave him yeah. alone. He's the new normal. The new normal. normal. Oh. Oh. <laughs> the, the worst phrase in the English language currently. The new normal, <laughs> right? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. It it's almost like these these. Well, it, it, speaking of fatness, right? That's the. There's a lot of these models. Uh, you know, you get a catalog from something, and it's like you see models just modeling clothes, and then suddenly there's a kind of a fat model. You know, like I, I. That's like really bizarre. You know, that that is really bizarre for me to see. Or or there was no, a fashion got, no, show. Amina, I saw video. You've got to say enormous model. Oh, enormous! I'm sorry. <laughs> That's <laughs> I almost worse. Think enormous, but I think. <laughs> I actually think enormous is worse than fat, honestly. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> enormous is like when you, when you describe someone, you say, that person is enormous. I mean, there's a, <laughs> you know, there's a level of, uh, of, uh, of complete exaggeration when you say that. But, but it's, it's very strange. It's almost like the mediocrity has been, has been uh, gaining traction, has been growing more and more since identity politics have kind of hit the hit the public scene in America. Really, I would say the identity politics really um, uh, went into the public policy and a larger culture when Obama became president. He took everything that was, you know, um, uh, that that happened in the academia and he brought it forth into the public square in many ways. And so the idea of mediocrity was already building up. And I think with with his um, uh, way of, of, of doing things, it became part of the consciousness here in the United States, at least. And so what I'm trying to say is that as mediocrity was rising, the excellence was going down. And so you're not really supposed to be best, right? You're not supposed to, uh, competition is bad, and therefore going to this fat, thin thing then being thin is bad because that means that you are maintaining your weight in some way. It means you're eating well. But um, if you're fat, you shouldn't be shamed. And on top of it, actually, you are healthy. You can do yoga. Do you know how many magazines I see, you know, uh, with like 
um, uh, like a, a yoga magazine or whatever, you know, one of those things. And there's a, there's a person uh, doing yoga. She looks like she's 300 pounds. It looks ludicrous, by the way. First of all, it looks ludicrous. Second of all, you are not healthy. I don't know what kind of mirror you're looking into, but you're about to have a heart attack. <laughs> so, so I, I guess I don't, what, you know, the sacrifice of reality here, I think is huge. That's yes, really what it but, is. But if you're thin, you are partaking in the erasure of fat people. That's right. That's right. Of course. <laughs> it's it's interesting. You mentioned mediocrity. I, I, I think we do lack a lot of aspiration these days. And I did mm. read somewhere that uh, someone was making the comment that on TikTok and on Instagram and on social media, you can see people doing the most amazing things. Like you can see five-year-olds that can play the guitar like you've never seen before. You can see kids in China who play the piano better than, you know, concert pianists do. Like, and that is a very um, demoralizing and, uh, and, and, and hopeless sort of uh, thing to engage in, to watch these sorts of, uh, of images and, and videos because you, you see that and you go, well, you know, I'm 30 years old. I'm never going to be able to play the guitar like that or, you know, I'm never going to be as fit as that person who's doing some amazing trick or some amazing physical feat. Like that, that can be very um, demoralizing in a way and, 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 mm-hmm. and crush your spirit in a way. Right. No, we don't see like the stories of people succeeding, right? Uh, I, I don't know if, if that's pretty much, I think, Western societies. And I would think in Australia, it's kind of similar in that, in that regard that, um, if anybody is striving to be to be the best um, at a certain you know um, profession or talent, whatever they have, then that is perceived as something as 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 negative. But here's the other side to that: the same people who are saying that you know it doesn't matter if you are really good at something. In fact, you, it should be decreased, right? You should dec- decrease yourself, your talent in order to make everybody else feel better about themselves, right? Um, the other side of that is they're not saying that it's important to be good. So let's say t- to me personally, as I'm raising my son, for example, the most important thing for me as a mother is for him to become and be a good human being. So that's the first thing, right? And the second thing, then his talents and everything comes, you know, obviously encouraging and whatever talents he has, right? So being good, being a good human being, I find to be more important than being the best at something, right? However, these same people who are not, um, who want the talent to decrease are not talking about being a good person, right? And I feel like what's missing here from all of these equations is, is thinking that there might be a higher being than yourself, right? This, this thought that whether it's the community, whether it's God, you know, whether it's your faith, there's something higher than yourself that's missing from the picture, from the, from the entire culture, I think. But have you, have you noticed, Amina, that um, it, you mentioned identity politics, if, if that is mm. what, was, what we're talking about, that in people who... Uh, uh, follow that movement or people who, who say those ideas, they never talk about uh, character. They never talk about, uh, you know, it, 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 things like integrity, courage, generosity, kindness, uh, um, you know, um, or any kind of, we don't talk about morals. 
so we seem to talk about externalities. We seem to talk about, um, well, you could say victimhood, I suppose, but it's mainly, um, you know, melanin or, or uh, genitals or, or, you know, how, how sorry you should feel for me based on whatever those things are, you know. Uh, so I, I, I feel like we need to somehow turn this ship around and get people talking about, you know what it means to be a good person, and and to and to use those texts from from the ancient texts from you know and get all that wisdom and bring it back. I think that could be an antidote to some of this stuff. Yes, absolutely. I've I have said this before. Is is that um, what's really being taken away from us right now is this very fundamental aspect, which is what it means to be a human being. That's the question that's being that's they're, they're trying to take away, right? And once you once you um, stop asking that question, that also means that you won't be able to be united with other people, right? Um, and any sort of totalitarian power hates when people are united against it, right? So there's there's that aspect too. Um, but but I think that like we were saying about courage and being character, like you were mentioning, all of these classic stories, really children's stories, include that. And and I'm wondering whether changing a lot of this stuff has to do with not just watering down the meaning, but um, completely negating any sort of humanness, right, that's present in these texts. Um, and, the, and the other aspect, I think, of that is that they are not letting people make their own judgments about a particular work of art, whether it's a book or a movie or whatever. They're telling you what you should be thinking about this whether you should feel guilty about it for reading it or watching it, uh, what kind of uh, pseudo-justice should be on your mind when you are reading it or watching it. Um, and that's actually one of my biggest um, problems with, with that particular, with, with this sort of identity politics um, faction or whatever you want to call it, this, this movement. I mean, at this point, it's wokeism, I suppose. I hate that word so much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, it is like a swear word, isn't it? It's that bad. It it, it, it it really is. It and it's meaningless at the same time. It really is. I mean, it's you know, forget the fact that it's grammatically incorrect, but um, it it it's it's actually it's completely uh, a devoid of awakening. That's that's what's that's what's so ironic about it that that there is no. People who are claiming to be woke are under such cloud of ideology, they don't even understand that something else exists. They're in Plato's cave. They're in Plato's cave, and people who buy into it are in Plato's cave too. They do not see reality at all. Reality isn't pleasant. It doesn't mean you're going to agree with everything or that you have to accept it, obviously. Um, but this, this need to, to cleanse things in a way or whatever they perceive to be um, is um, it's just further, I think, contributes to the erosion of, of humanness or the erosion of, of human spirit, ultimately, I think. Well, if we, if we turn our attention back to the censorship of, of Roald Dahl, um, I, I, think it's, I think it's concerning when you think uh, of the push towards digital books that, that we're kind of experiencing as well, like e-books, because uh, presumably those would be easier to alter 
uh, and and quicker to alter. You know, we 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 could enter a nineteen eighty four like situation where books are being rewritten constantly to conform mm-hmm. to the whims of uh, of these woke elites. But it got me thinking about cinema, and and most people stream movies now. Mm-hmm. So what's what's to stop film studios and corporations altering works of cinema? And John, I think you were telling me that that Disney has already done this with with Splash. Is that right? Yes. Look, I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's a fairly um, you know obviously mainstream example, but you know the version of Splash that's av- the only version of Splash that's available on Disney Plus uh, when Daryl Hannah runs into the water. They've done this really bad CG job on her blonde hair to cover her her butt because you know because butts are inherently disgusting and and only mean like you know they only mean sex or something so we've had to cover that up but that's just one example of you know a, a, what I would suggest is a creepy change like I just thought it was her being free like that like in that scene there's something wonderful about a mermaid who is free and doesn't understand any of our social mores or any what it means to be you know human in the way we understand and she just runs into the water and isn't that wonderful and and it's and it's Tom Hanks that's being the stick in the mud like you know or being like you know uh that's where the joke comes from but so when you remove it like i mean it's it's there a cousin of that joke is there but you've you've softened it unnecessarily and proved yourself to be part of the temperance society yeah I had no clue that's what they were doing. That's crazy. I, I pay attention to these things. Nudity on screen. You know? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Don't type it in. You might get some really weird stuff. Um, yeah, that, that is really crazy. You know what this feels like? It's almost like, you know, years from now, somebody, you know, who was a, a child who saw movies or read a book and say, you know what they what they've read or seen, and, and this older person's going to tell them, "Oh no, you you got the wrong book there. Let me show you the real book." You know, you you can I can just see the scene. You know, like some wise person, you know, is saying, "No, no, you need to you need to see the, you know, the real movie of what happened." You know, so it's it's almost it really is kind of like a, a Soviet totalitarianism. You know, when people would smuggle smuggle books uh, to uh, to read, but in this case, it's it's perhaps even worse because it's altering the original. Yeah, yeah. Well, on the, on the other side of the coin, though, like the digital medium could facilitate two versions of the work, you know, the altered, updated version and, and the original. They don't want to admit that they don't want to admit that they've <laughs> changed it. You know that. I they know. Want, I do. Yes, I know that. They want, they, 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 it, it, I, that's why part of this is, they they're offended that they that they have to explain themselves that like they want to just say no this is the this is the definitive version the only well version. well you, you sort of see a a a a version of that with uh, George Lucas and the Star Wars special editions you know he he redid these Star Wars movies and he added in all this extra stuff that you know didn't really add anything to the story and he he will not let the original versions be be released anymore you know because these are the definitive versions you know oh, and right. some of the stuff he's put in there sucks you know and and I I'd, <laughs> I'd rather watch the old ones that I grew up with well the troubling thing amina is that the first film from 1977 is in the library of congress so mm, mm-hmm. which so you know is that the only version of the of that movie <laughs> you know what are we left right. with yeah right what yeah exactly what are you left with right some sort of bad heap of history that means nothing well, hopefully not 
Okay, Mina, let's uh, let's change gears slightly here. Uh, we wanted to touch on some of your uh, recent writing. Um, I was very struck by an article you wrote for American Greatness titled The Soviet Erotic and Today's Misbegotten Effort to Kill Eros. Uh, you write about a French photographer who in 1956 visited the Soviet Union with his camera where he captured uh, candid shots of, of ordinary people in, in uh, everyday situations. Can you tell us about the photographer uh, Henry Cartier-Bresson and uh, his Soviet trip? Yeah, from, that was an interesting research that yielded when I was, you know, when I was um, looking into into the photograph. Really, we started with the photograph of the um, um, the workers in the car factory. I found that it was a it's a car factory in, I believe it was in Moscow. Maybe I don't know, but um, it was a kind of an interesting. Um, triad in a way you had a, a two women and a man one woman was clearly a supervisor and uh, the man uh, was the worker and she was there was definitely some chemistry there going on between the two of them in that in that environment while the third character does not the character but you know the woman the second woman is kind of looking on from 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 afar almost in envy that these two are having this kind of, in a way, erotic encounter. And uh, Bresson, when he visited um, um, Soviet Union, um, I didn't see any evidence that he was actually communist sympathizer in any way. He just kind of captured people the way they are. And so he has a, had a way of um, making, you know, really ordinary things seem kind of extraordinary in almost all of his photographs. But um, it it showed some kind of humanity in it. And so as, as I was thinking about it, um, I realized how Eros, I already have known this for a while, but I was struck by the fact that there was an incredible amount of Eros in this environment that is, well, clearly communist, right? And you associated with totalitarianism uh, for a reason. And yet these people were somehow still able to be human. And um, it made me think of the fact that everything is being neutered today, um, and especially arrows that's that's being killed continuously. Once you get rid of the, once you're trying to say that there is no gender difference, or that men can be women and women can be men, um, then any sort of fundamental relationship between those two will be dead. Right. So any sort of errors will not be possible. But it was an interesting looking at the photograph. It was an interesting connection between Eros and totalitarianism, which is what, you know, got my attention going from the photographs. Well, you've been writing about Eros in a number of different contexts uh, lately. And in, in, obviously in uh, relation to the Soviet photos, some film as well. Now, in, in Greek mythology, Eros is the god of love, if I'm correct. Now, uh, right. the, way, the way you've been writing about it, how can you? What, what's your definition in the way you've been writing about Eros uh, lately? Um, well, I've, I've always, I, I sort of usually try to try to steer away from from any um, discussion of um, Greek mythology, or at least that that hasn't been in my um, in my lexicon when I'm talking about it. Um, I've usually confined myself within the notion or within the relationship between a man and a woman and um, uh, whether Eros has, you know, what kind of power it has, whether it is um, 
related in any way to to ethics, whether it's related to justice, whether um, ethics and justice is suspended once you know um, eros is uh, being enacted between a man and a woman. In other words, you have this incredibly private moment um, between two people. It's just almost like a um, a way of losing oneself. If you if you think of Song of Songs, for example, or Song of Solomon, as it's also known, there is um, um, you know kind of a tension there because you don't know what is community, right? Um, with arrows and without arrows, right? It, it um, unless there is some sort of movement towards fecundity, right? Towards towards children. Um, is is eros then realized? So those are some of the questions that I sort of that I look at, and uh, definitely not. Um, I have written some things about symposium, Plato's symposium as well, but that's a little bit, you know, it, it takes a different trajectory as opposed to I don't know talking about Kathleen Turner in Body Heat, you know. So it's, it's but maybe they're all related. I don't know. So that's sort of where I go with it. Yeah, so so maybe from a base level, I, I was saying that eros is is sexual desire. It's 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 sexual sure. tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Definitely, desire is obviously part of it. Um, it 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 is what makes the world go. You know, I I think that um, desire really desire for life, not just. Um, not just in any way for uh, for sex or sexual tension or anything like that, but I do find it very troubling actually that that um, that sort of very fundamental, very basic human um, element is being squashed every day. And I think at this point, certainly, uh, you know, before it was feminism. I think who was destroying that because you're destroying the relationship between men and women. And uh, but now, without a doubt, it's a transgender movement that's not only destroying the relationship between a man and a woman, but also relationship with the self, because it's, we know what what it is. Right. The, if there is no gender difference, then there is no reality. Right. And I mean, think of also of, of trans um, uh, transgender people let's say, who go through, I find this fascinating, people who go through this with the surgeries, um, they are really unable to use their new parts, ultimately, their new body parts that mm-hmm. they have either, or, or, or the stuff or the parts that they have cut off or parts that they've added. They are actually unable to, um, to enact it in any way, which is just, I, it's kind of insane, isn't it? I, I don't know. It's it's mentally weird. It's it's. Men- I don't want to. I don't want to make any psychological diagnoses here. But um, anyway, hope, hopefully, I'm not going too far into it. But to me, this death of Eros at this point is definitely connected to transgender uh, movement and also general sort of um, lack of embodiment from from the digital sphere. So I think it all sort of fits fits together. I've got a great quote here from from your article. Uh, it, it says, quote, on one hand, we face moralists who insist that we ought to define relationships between men and women according to some rigid, dreary and fictional manual from what they imagine held sway in the 1950s. On the other hand, we face a new wave of neo-Victorians who treat sex and erotic encounters in a strictly contractual way. 
There are relationships bathed in an antiseptic liquid. Here, men and women are not allowed to be themselves or to revel in what ought to be a source of joy and fecundity. Some women react to the so-called male gaze by proudly proclaiming their misandry, and some men choose a type of masculinity that very quickly leads to a corresponding misogyny or even pure homoeroticism. In all cases, the delicate balance between the masculine and feminine is destroyed. Wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> yeah. Hearing it like that, I never read it, you know. It's, uh, it's not bad, not bad. <laughs> but, uh, um, joking aside, no, that, that's but that's exactly it, isn't it? I, I, I find that people are confused right now, you know, uh, with, with in regards to uh, sex. And I think that certainly in regards to eros or any erotic experience. So uh, you see this like, retraction right you or or some sort of like i said this re- supposed retrieval of the 1950s of uh, how women should i don't know stay at home and it just makes no sense you know no, I, it, see, I, just... I, I, I like this quote of yours because it it, it, it articulates a, a a strange contradiction that's going on so we've got as you say there are some people who who have who've gone into this tr- trad or traditional uh way of mm-hmm, of, of right. being um, but then there's this in a lot of cinema now, or, or you can, you know, we see um, if you look at the mainstream cinema, it's very prudish and creepy. It's just super sexless superheroes. You know, you couldn't even imagine a, a moment like Han and Leia in mm-hmm. The Empire Strikes Back, you know, where he sort of uh, um, makes a pass at her in in the Millennium Falcon, and it's and it's probably one of the most romantic scenes in in all of the the, the series. You couldn't imagine the Disney Corporation ever allowing. Well, a heterosexual, a heterosexual kiss of any kind, but let alone anything that was sexually aggressive and and played with the power of, you know, um, the sort of restrained power of men uh, and women in that moment. Uh, so we've got that, and then we've got this this third track, which is um, actually not very prudish. It seems to be comp- uh, an embracing of kinks and sexual perversion. But as you've put it here, it's sort of mm-hmm. it, it is di- it is covered in antiseptic. So as long as you're on Tinder or as long as you're on Pornhub or as long as you're in in you know in these specific spaces or or as long as you're talking about I don't know your your um your rights, then you're allowed to. Oh yeah, in, it could be in a Mardi Gras parade, could be at work. It doesn't matter. Uh, then it's suddenly, you know, it, it's on for young and old. So we've got, we, we don't have uh, something as simple as like that image that you've, you've pointed out, which we'll put in the show notes of the, uh, from the Soviet era, if there's something going on there between men and women, you know, we, we, right. we, we, you know, she's grabbing her, her collar in, in a oddly suggestive, uh, submissive way, but she's, power, you know, you're standing up straight in power and then he's got his bulging bicep like standing there holding his big wrench and there's something going on there. <laughs> and, and we've got these three tracks I just mentioned and um, it's, it's a total mess. It's almost like we are incapable of actually experiencing it, some sort of anhedonia or I don't know, uh, uh, of, of, of for life, because really Eros is a, is a, is a lust for life as well. Not this is not just a, it's it's a procreative. It's 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 not just it's not hedonism actually. Quite the opposite. But today's hedonists seem to be so so uh, uh, um, uh, sterile. I guess it's a it's a very very weird way to to 
feel release, even if even if they are. It's 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 very strange. But one thing that really bothers me actually is this um, strange misogyny that goes on with 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 um, um, with these sort of um, conservative young or middle aged men um, uh, like BAP, right? Bronze Age pervert. Um, I've I've not heard of that. That you have not heard of that. Okay, so so. That was in well his 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 identity I suppose I think was revealed recently. Um, he's a professor somewhere. He's, says he's middle aged, whatever that means. I don't know in his forties or something. I don't know. But um, he he called himself Bronze Age pervert and wrote this book, uh, published it anonymously, obviously, and it was all about the importance of male friendship. And um, but it really wasn't about. He was creating a kind of Nietzschean world, uh, um, some of it based on on Plato, but mainly a kind of Nietzschean world where, you know, the elite, the most important people who are discussing intellectual ideas are the ones that are on top of the mountain and the rest of us, you know, if we're not good enough, we really can't do that. But he created a kind of, he created a sort of a reality based on, based on aesthetics purely. And, um, and there are a lot of people who follow that, these kind of, young men who want to be men but they are doing it without any relation to to women you know and i think that's the that's that's the trouble i'm seeing here ultimately becomes either homoerotic or or homosexual whatever but don't you know they some some of these um writers are are kind of pushing that expression as the pinnacle of masculinity as if that really is masculinity um so, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is open to debate, sure, what masculinity is, but women are, women and children are missing from this masculinity. And I think that's the problem I'm seeing with all of these, from the quote that you, you know, you pulled out that um, all of these people that are trying to enact some kind of perverse eros or they're even killing it, women and children are somehow missing from that big picture. It's a very Randian world in many ways. Uh, this sort of fight against totalitarianism, at least in America, has become a very, from conservatives, has become a sort of Randian um, experience, which will always, always be missing something. You know, she had some, Ayn Ransom had some good, good ideas, but, you know, if you read any of her books, you will notice that there are no children in those books. Yes, we co- we covered uh, uh, Fountainhead, which I love, uh, uh, with with Yaron Brook, and you, on the previous on the most recent reading of it, I did notice the the lack of children uh, and and her inability to to fold children into her vision is a problem. Yes, yes, not, you know, not saying you know if people choose not to have children. That's that's fine. I, I just want to qualify that because I don't. I, I'm not. I also don't like it when people say you must procreate. That's your life. You can do whatever you want to do. You know. But when there is this push of reality where family is 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 um, um, family unit is completely being destroyed in some way, uh, um, whether it's through denial of children or denial of, of the differences between men and women, um, you know, that's, that, that's where I see, that's where I see a big, 
big problem. So, but I see that problem both from the sort of 1950s. I'm making a bit of a caricature here, but they've made themselves into a caricature, you know, by 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 being in this trad category. This doesn't exist. This is this is an uncreative life, you know. And at the same time, these other ones that are completely sterile in 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 their in their hedonism. So it's either one is is missing something, I think, or several trajectories that I mentioned in that in that paragraph you read. Mm, yeah, that is interesting. The um that uh, family and and women and children are sort of yeah missing from the picture there. And there there is I think there is a there is an attack going on of of the of the nuclear family. You know, I mean, you see it with w- yes. one of BLM's uh, stated aims on their website before they took took all of that down was the destruction of the nuclear family. You know, they've got some weird idea that that people are going to be raised in collectives and stuff like that. So. Uh, which sounds like a nightmare to me. Completely. I can't even, you know, living in a collective sounds like, it sounds insane. I mean, they always fail, obviously, because, you know, somebody has to gather power, right? Even though everybody's supposed to be equal. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah, there is there is that missing component. And that's, and that's very, very troubling uh, uh, to me. That's why I don't, um, as much as I, for example, I will agree with some of these um, uh, uh, positions on masculinity where men shouldn't be, I don't know. Uh, the, the, the issue I have with this people like Bronze Age pervert is, is the fact that they are prizing male masculinity in its, in its uh, um, um, physical embodiment. Um, and it really goes a little bit towards the, what the Greeks, you know, um, had, but it really it ultimately denies the humanity. You know, if, if you are basing your reality purely on aesthetics, it will fail. I think life based on aesthetics only, uh, whatever your conception of beauty is, is a life that will only go inward, I think. Because if there's no ethics there, and if there's no justice, and I mean justice in the truest sense, not the social justice or any of the stuff that they're talking about, you know, I mean, in, in the sense that we are good, we are becoming everyday good human beings. Uh, that do care for each other, you know, unless you do that, unless you have that as the foundation, all of this other stuff will fail, you know. Um, that's why you have misogyny and misandry on both on both ends. I'm glad you gave me that, uh, your, your definition of justice there, because I was immediately thinking, ah, yes, so I know what we, you're talking about um, queering up the space. Is, is, <laughs> we were, I, I was just checking that we were on the same page there. No, know? absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm wait, you said queering. I said, I, I'm waiting for the right moment to use the word queer as strange in, in a conversation. So How I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. exactly. Yes. So, please, let's please let's bring ahead. it back. Let's bring it back. Yes, yes. Uh, let's let's turn our focus to cinema now. You you love to write about cinema. You love to watch movies, and you wrote a nice piece about the 1981 film Body Heat, which is a neo noir film starring uh, William Hurt and Kathleen Turner. Uh, I have some questions about uh, Kathleen Turner's character, but perhaps you could tell us a bit about the film first and what what inspired you to to write about it. Well, I've always liked it. It's a, it's such a, the whole thing is just perfect, right? It's a, it's tough to do a neo-noir, but this just succeeded. The music, the saxophone alone is the character in my opinion, but uh, Kathleen Turner is just uh, incredibly gorgeous and, and uh, perfect femme fatale, right? And she, she makes uh, um, William Hurt, of course, kill her husband. And uh, she goes off with the money and, you know, poor William Hurt ends up in, the, in, in prison. So, um, but it's, it's, you know, you know how obviously noirs are. They have a lot of good 
uh, back and forth one-liners between uh, men and women. And I think Body Heat definitely um, is well-written. It's a well-written movie. And um, um, she's, you know, she's, uh, she's just really kind of electric there, right? She's, uh, she's, she's lethal, right? Her eroticism is lethal in this case. Um, but there's, a, there's an interesting atmosphere, I think, that uh, Lawrence Castan has created in the film. So that's kind of ethereal, but at the same time, you know, very much grounded in, in, in the erotic, in the erotic, by the way, that, that particular, that particular article got a Twitter sensitivity warning. So I'm very proud of what? that. Really? <laughs> yes. What for? I think, well, I don't know. I, I would assume that it had to do with eroticism. I think that. I the- love that, that Kathleen Turner is too hot for TV. Yes, I think so. I think like so. she's I think so she's- hot. She's so hot. She broke Twitter. it's so true though that scene uh, that's you talk about the scene it's the best scene in the movie so maddie kicks ned out of her house and um you know she's inside and he's outside and the wind chimes are going and she's and she's like staring at him through the window (laughs) with this look on her face she's all sweaty and she and he's just it's the, the look on her face is just Come and get me if if you dare, you pussy. You know, and, and he just and I think he literally breaks in. He smashes yes. the window and goes and just takes her. And yeah, you put that expression in your article. He takes her, and I'm like, yes, that's what he does. And uh, yes. so, what, yes. what a scene! I can see how that that would have broken Twitter. I think so. It, it seemed like it. It was really ridiculous, but there was actually eyes wide shut. Got the same warning. So wow. Oh, it's probably because the, the the two characters didn't sign a, a consent form before you know he he, he no I mean you window, should have written you know? about Shazam <laughs> instead or uh, you know uh, Ant Man Ant Man three and then <laughs> then they they there'd be no blocks there they'd say no this is perfectly fine that's right that's right see you know Eros does the, it, it it scares people there you go that's that's the problem with the society I, I mean i think that twitter is trying to curb pornography which is that's what i'm thinking which is fine but i don't know if it's the words or if it's the pictures that are that are making them do that but i i they said i could appeal it and i'm thinking i don't why would i why would i even bother with that but it's, where's it's the space the for these Where's the space for these movies though? Because we 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 right. can't go to they can't go to the cinema to see Body Heat, Basic Instinct, and Eyes Wide Shut. We we can't go like you know they're probably not on streaming, or if they are, they're they're, they're sectioned away on you know on a uh, on a, a obscure platform or whatever. Right. So so we're not allowed to talk about them on Twitter. You know, if you're at a party and you mention them, you know, you might get people you know looking at you askance or something. So right. what 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 where how are we meant to experience these 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 films? I feel like these these films like Body Heat serve a function. That was a very popular movie. Yes. And it's a great movie. There's a reason for it. Yeah. And I, and I think that honestly, I really think that people just have to be more educated, you know, look things up. Uh, you know, I don't know, even even if even, I'm trying to think, like, what would a, a, a young person do, let's say, in their 20s or 30s, 30s? Is that young? I don't even know. No, somebody in the 30s would know, wouldn't they? Right. I hope so. Uh, but maybe a, a, somebody fresh out of college or something, you know, uh, it's almost like they need a guide, you know, like here's a guide to the movies. And um, it used to be called. 
video store clerk and that was oh, me yes, yes. Oh, <laughs> oh that's great that's great you know you I know like Qu uh, quentin tarantino used to work at a video store isn't that isn't really? that uh, yeah, yeah absolutely he, he worked at that that video archives very famous video store and uh that was that was the, the thing to do you know you were you were a curator you were someone who who said don't watch th that dumb movie here watch watch dead man by by jim jarmusch it's cool mm -hmm. watch that right you know right Whereas now right, exactly. it's all flattened into a Netflix algorithm and a bunch of thumbnails and it says, oh, and it, and, and it makes dumb assumptions. Like it'll, it'll, the, the, the films that'll fold in, it'll go, you know, you like heat, but why don't you watch the Italian job? Uh, but the remake, right. the remake, the remake of the Italian job. And you're, and you're like, you don't know me at all. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's the algorithm trying to give you a suggestion, right. Instead yeah. of another person. But I do think that, you know, just, just uh, researching some of these things. It, the internet actually is full, full of good stuff too, not just bad stuff. But I, I, I would, I would think. Uh, but they would have to have desire to do so, right? People would have to have a desire to go. Oh, I've never, I've never heard of that. I'd like to find out more about it. And if mm -hmm. they don't, that's the, that's the problem here. Uh, when I was, uh, when I was teaching in, uh, in college, uh, when I was teaching in high school too, uh, that's, this is what I would do. I'd bring, you know, books obviously to teaching English and, and uh, I'd bring the movies into the list of movies to them as well. And, you know, the kids really didn't know the high school kids or the certain, the college kids either. They just didn't know about these things. And they, the, the ones that are even more curious, they, they look it up and that's where you start. And, you know, mm. so maybe that's, that's the way to do it is to educate them in some way. I don't know. Um, yeah. to, to educate them to the real thing. Right. And to say, no, don't don't dismiss that movie because some you know ideologue is telling you you shouldn't be watching it. It is perverse, though. It is perverse that my that my Twitter that my uh, uh, article is getting a Twitter sensitivity warning, while the 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 ads for have you have you seen those ads for Balenciaga with um, mm. with children yes, in in, yeah. in BDSM stuff, right? But that's okay out there. Okay, that's that's insanity, right? I'm telling you, this um, world right now is extremely anti-children. Everything about it is. It's anti-eros, and ultimately, it's anti-fecundity, and of course, anti-children. So uh, it is. It is a world set on making everybody barren from from literal point of view to to like barren intellectually, barren artistically, um, all of that. Mm. Well, I'll, I'll get to my question about Kathleen Turner's character in a minute, but it's interesting what you said about anti-children. Like, I mean, if you think about the pandemic, the, the lockdown restrictions were very anti-children, stopping them going from school, you know, and especially in the mm -hmm. US, like masking mm -hmm. kids up from, from toddler age. I mean, it wasn't so bad, the masking here in Australia, but but we had we had uh, school closed, uh, schools closed and also the whole trans kids thing as well, like letting kids... Uh, transition at a really young age. I mean, that's that's very destructive to to children. So, I really get what you're saying there. Yes, I, I wrote an article. I wrote an article about uh, one of the cases in Australia. He was in Australia or New Zealand. Oh my goodness, uh, uh, Georgie something. Oh my goodness, I don't remember now. But it was about a, a boy who be, who wanted to be a girl. Um, anyway, it, they did a documentary on on him, and it was the, the, the saddest thing I have seen. It was just the actually he went through with the surgery and it was the most empty moment i you know 
in any case, please continue. Well, it seems it seems absolutely taboo in 2023 to suggest that women have the capacity to lie or to manipulate or use their sexuality in nefarious ways, as Kathleen Turner's character does in Body Heat. Uh, but you know, this has been a theme of many films and and novels throughout the ages. Uh, women's on-screen power seems to have moved in recent years from their mind and their sexuality to physical power. So, so women mm. in film today, they literally kick butt. You know, many female characters today, they don't just physically fight men, they comprehensively destroy them, you know. Right, so right. Did, uh, my question is, did, did women ask for this? Do they want to erase their sexual power and replace it with kicking butt? I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. Maybe weird women. I don't know if they can consider themselves that. Um, <laughs> I think we. I think they seem to be moving away from from being human first of all, right? And then, as as a result, from then being a woman or being a man. There's something really strange, I think, about a woman saving a man physically. Let's say if if you have that scene in a movie or something like that. Um, well, I, I think you'll be seeing a lot of that in the new Indiana Jones movie, uh, which is coming out. Oh. There'll be a lot of that. Like oh. that—that's a—that's a given. Like you need to—you need to have not only the woman rescuing the man, but the woman um, teaching the man, particularly the cis, the cis white man, <laughs> teaching him about his privilege. Oh, is Harrison Ford getting a lesson? You know, a life <laughs> lesson or something? Um, yeah, that, it, that, that that's crazy. Well, they shouldn't be making any more Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not, with. not with Harrison Ford. He's about 100, 100 years old, you know. Yeah, that's the, 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 he was Indiana Jones. You know, we have three movies. Let's leave it at that. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't have the answer to your question because I'm not in their mind. I think that's really, that's my question too. Do people really feel this way? Do they really think this way? I have a, a few friends that are thinking normally, you know, thinking the same way that I do. There are no strange ideas about um, whether it's sensitivity issues, whether it's the word fat or enormous or whatever. Um, you know, I, I, this, is, this is really what I want to say to people. Just be normal. <laughs> right? oh, don't, don't don't you want to do it like that you want to do that scene from network you want to get up and say i want you to get up out of your seats go to your windows and shout just be normal oh i've got to say my mum used to yell that at at us kids because you know we, we would just I, I had an older brother and a younger sister we used to just run around and do just crazy stuff and she would say that just be normal <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though, isn't it? I, I do that too a lot these days, right? Um, at my son, but it, but it really there there is like you know harmless abnormality, which is really simply being a unique person, right, with your own different personality, and then there's just chaos, which is which is what what's going on right now, you know. I and I think that people are burdened with chaos, uh, burdened with all of these things that are being put on our shoulders. Um, by various ideologies and by people who have, I think, unfortunately accepted some of them, um, especially with raising, raising kids. I think that they don't want to tell their kids no. And so they're letting them do these really harmful, harmful things, you know, so um, irreversible things like trans surgeries and stuff like that. Um, but yes, I mean, it, it's, they want to talk about the new normal, but they, nobody wants to be normal, right? 
you can't you can't have it that way you know it uh it well, that, that, that's almost, that's almost a taboo word now. You can't, you can't yes. talk about being normal. You know, you've got lots of people who identify as having, uh, all these sorts of, uh, you know, mental disorders, uh, who, who get offended when you, when you talk about normalcy, you know, are you identify? Why don't we identify as normal? Why don't you say I identify as normal? <laughs> <laughs> and then, <laughs> and where's my, where, Amina, where's my flag? Where's you know? <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah. How many colors are going to be on your flag? What's a Just normal? white. Just white. <laughs> Just white. Okay. Now you're being racist. Stop it. <laughs> um, but you see, this is how this works. Actually, it, it, when, I was, when I was a grad student and throughout most of the graduate career, um, you know, there was a level of, in, the, in the university because most of it is leftist. So I had to kind of, you know, be quiet in most cases just so I can get my degree. And uh, didn't really make a lot of trouble, didn't, didn't want to get into arguments. And I, you know, you also know what keywords to say and, and you know, to, um, to make sure, to ensure your survival, I guess you could say. But um, th- there was a level there, I have to say, of not being able to exist. So you start to change the way you think uh, because of the incredible ideology that's there. And then I'm wondering what the similar thing is happening right now in a society because there's a pressure and a push and people are simply not courageous. There's not a lot of courageous people out there, even those who claim to be, especially those who claim to be, you know, like some certain pundits and writers and stuff like that, uh, people like that. So um, they're, they're not, they're not, they think they're fighting. They want to tell you that they're fighting a fight, but they really aren't. They're fighting it from the comfort of their home with a big salary and following the money wherever it goes. You know, so um, um, and regular people, I don't think that uh, are they're probably listless. A lot of people are listless, but there are a lot of parents that I talk to that are friends of mine that are trying to raise good children and live a normal life. Be normal, you know, be normal. That's my next book. Be normal. <laughs> oh, excellent. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> now, Amina, you you wrote a piece of the new criterion called Into Great Beauty, which is all about aesthetic beauty in art and how to engage with art more broadly. Is it possible to talk about aesthetic beauty in 2023? Because we seem to be aggressively encouraged to see ugliness as beauty today. I think it's possible. I think we just have to find it. You know, I I I, I think that we need to seek out conversations that elevate us. And uh, um, in, in, in this particular case, it was a book called Seeing Like an Artist, written by Lincoln Perry, who um, is an artist who, who wrote about what does it mean to see art. But um, I think there are still people who, who, people who exist who do feel this way. Um, and well, we really have to seek those conversations out. I think this, was prob- this is probably true. It's a human condition. I just think it's a little bit harder now we have to do some little extra work to find such conversations or such possibilities. Um, but personally speaking, I think that I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to step away from the noise of the internet or of the, of the Twitter world type of type of encounters um, and then seek something that will elevate, elevate me and not contribute to some sort of burnout or anything like that. So so I do think it's the art still stays there. It's not changed. It doesn't matter how much they try to do it. I think from a perspective of, uh, uh, of um, either theory, ideology, 
or any other assault on art, it does still exist. You can still look up a painting and look at it, go to the gallery and sit and, and engage, engage with it. Um, and I guess, you know, I, I ask these questions all the time. I think when I write these articles is, you know, is this getting read? Is this getting heard? Um, uh, you know, are, are people, my hope is that people are elevated by it, and that, that they're not falling into depression or, or, uh, or that their humanity is affirmed, et cetera. That's somehow sometimes, uh, or I should say most of the times on my mind when I'm writing these things. And uh, I try to seek similar things for myself too, because I need nourishment as well. <laughs> now, I mean, do you think that there's, a, 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 you know, an agenda behind uh, this push to make us accept images that we know to be ugly as beautiful. Uh, we've already covered this a little bit earlier in our discussion, but, you know, for example, this new Martin Luther King sculpture that they unveiled oh. recently. I mean, look, it's it's just one of a million examples, but from there are from a few angles, this thing looks obscene. Uh, it looks like at, at some points, I believe it looks like a, a male member, to be honest with you. Yeah. And that's and so I mean, what what's is there an agenda here? I mean, why isn't that statue just Martin Luther King looking like a Greek god? <laughs> I, <laughs> I know a lot of people, you know, uh, went to immediately, you know, went with that analogy or what it looked like. When I remember when I when I did see it, uh, I, I well maybe it's the same thing. I thought it looked like an eel. So that was where my mind went. <laughs> but either way, I mean, is well, this a, is this a Freudian moment right now? I don't know. I don't. But know. if the but if the Lincoln Memorial was just just imagine the Lincoln Memorial, it's just no head, no arms, no legs, just right. a stump, stumpy torso sitting right. there on on it with a with a suspended hat in in air over him. Would would we be making pilgrimage pilgrimages to it? Well, I wouldn't. I don't know about others, but that sounds crazy, doesn't it? No. You know what I thought it was? I thought that with the Martin Luther King thing, I actually think that the intention there was to elevate the embrace from the photograph, right? But uh, uh, it failed. I think ultimately it simply failed. Uh, it was, And then I did a little bit of research on the artist, and he's mainly a kind of an abstract or notion artist, or something like that. I forget what the what the word the, that I found in his biography, but he works a conceptual artist. Sorry, that's right, conceptual artist. So he's just working off of concepts. It's kind of like uh, saying, "Here's a glass of water, and I'm going to write. I'm going to put it on a shelf, and I'm going to write a little paragraph on it, and I will tell you that this glass of water is a tree." So that's that's sort of the thing that I think this is what happened with Martin Luther King uh, a statue. It was a failed failed art, I think. Yeah, well, I, I just think of all the meetings and the processes and the consultations that would have occurred between the artist and whatever government body commissioned the work. And at, at no point did anyone stand up and say, hang on, why does this look like a big penis? You know, were, 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 right. people, were people afraid to, to, to speak up and say something, I wonder? Did they not see it? Or, or did, they, did they like, or, or even, let's say, even if they didn't see that, when, I would be confused actually as to what I'm watching, right? I, I would be confused as to what I'm actually seeing. I would say this has somehow failed uh, as, a, as, a, as a sculpture, right? You're not conveying your message. If this was a critique in architecture school or in art school, 
he would get the critique. He would get the critique that he failed to convey his message. Mm. And I think that's exactly what happened. But do you know, but if you say that, is it that isn't isn't that just racism? <laughs> I'm sure it is for them. Yes, I'm sure it is. Uh, yeah. But, but, but it's, uh, it's just a no-brainer. I just think he should have looked like it, 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 it. I mean, I think it's so disrespectful to Martin Luther King to not and to his message to not render him in the same awesome way that that many of those those classic statues are in the capital. Like what? Like you should. They should have gone to the Lincoln Memorial and said, "Let's make something that big." And with and Martin Luther King and have him looking just awesome, standing at the podium, saying, "I have a dream," and everyone will come here, and and maybe we'll have an eternal flame or something near it or whatever, right. and everyone will come, and they're going to cry from the depths of their soul, and and be be inspired, and to see America for what it is, which is, you know. Um, an, uh, a a work in progress, but but a, a successful experiment in in how to be the best human being you can be, you know. But instead, we've got this we've got this Cronenbergian eel penis monster. Oh, yeah. oh I like that. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. It was something out of a Cronenberg movie, isn't it? But but it's interesting oh to to look at it because. Uh, because nowadays, to to quote Martin Luther King and 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 to talk about his message of of not seeing race or getting to a point where where the color of your skin is just something like you know the color of someone's hair, it's just you know it's just different, uh, and, and that that it has no bearing on 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 your life. Um, that that message is is totally moot now. Like people, they 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 right. they call that racist now because you do have to see race now. You have to see race everywhere. You know, right. I see. It. Right. You're white, Ricky. Deal with it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, it you know, it this especially is true I think of this uh, of of uh, this whole cisgender white male blah 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 whatever they want to call it. I don't even know what that means. I don't really want to know what it means. I don't really care what it means because it means nothing. There is no real theory behind it. There is no real philosophy behind it. There's no metaphysics behind it. And um, and the same thing goes for this for this statue. There is no metaphysical substance in it at all. He not only failed as an artist. I'm not sure whether there was an ideological component to it, to be honest with you, or any sort of uh, you know woke stuff or whatever. I know a lot of people were saying that. No, I think he's just a bad artist. That's it. And my goodness, don't call somebody bad. I think that the, the problem here is that we are told to reserve our judgment, and that includes aesthetic judgment as well. And uh, that's, uh, that's a, you know, most of these things sometimes are a matter of taste, and uh, nobody wants to look at an eel or whatever else you may think it is. I don't know. I don't want to flog a dead horse, Amina, but I'll, I'll, I'll just point to there's that other statue of Ruth Bader Ginsburg in as well, which looks oh. like <laughs> a, an HP, HP Lovecraft monster. Yes. Well, it, it, the funny thing is, it was when I was looking at it, uh, I thought everybody was saying this is satanic, this is satanic. So everybody just started to go wacko on, on Twitter about it. They're worshiping Satan. Look at this. I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking at the statue a little further, you know, I'm thinking this looks something like out of Vedic tradition. And so I did some research and I guess it is uh, they were inspired. Here's the here's the ironic part. I think they were it's supposed to what they were inspired by is goddess of fertility. But they were going for Ruth 
Bader Ginsburg and abortion rights. So you see how they're always getting this thing wrong. So I don't mm. think it was satanic. I just think that it was. <laughs> I just think that it was. Uh, uh, it was ironic. <laughs> well, did you see any footage from the Grammys recently? They had a whole satanic sort of theme oh, yes. going on. Yes, yes, that was really bizarre. I just don't like it when 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 conservatives go off on this gnostic gnostic analysis, and it gets. It gets extremely silly, in my opinion. No, but they should, I, be, not, they should be happy when people do satanic stuff because to, 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 to have a satanic vision presupposes the existence of God. Right, right. That, that would be exactly, that would be the conclusion, right? But, but when people go into this, you know, like the, the, what bothers me about a lot of conservatives is that they will go into this kind of theological, Gnostic, apocalyptic movement um, um, and everything is connected. It becomes some sort of strange conspiracy. Um, and then there's this supernatural component to it as well. I don't know if these people worship Satan. I couldn't care less, I guess, what I'm trying to say. I don't need a proof that they're worshiping Satan or eating eating sperm that Marina Abramovich gave them, or I don't know what else, you know. What I, what I do know is that they are not normal <laughs> and that some of these people are evil and their deeds show it i don't need some kind of proof that there's a there's a you know bad spiritual component to it so it just sounds the conversation ends up sounding really silly in my opinion it goes into this uh, uh i mean i saw a briefly i don't know who the performer was at the grammys uh, I saw it very briefly. I mean, it looked like some ridiculous, stupid strip club or something. You know, it, it looked chaotic for sure. I don't, I don't know why would that be even a performance, but it was another occasion for hysteria. I think. I, I mean, uh, sadly, we've run out of time. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show, and it's been great catching up. Uh, if if people want to find you, uh, can uh, can you let us know your Twitter handle? What, what what's your handle? Uh, yes, it's Amina Milanic. So just my name, E M I N A M E L O N I C. Hey, I can I can spell. Oh, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, they can follow that. And I'm I do have a a, a Substack called uh, uh, the Magic Lantern, it, but it's like aminamilanic.substack.com. That's that's all. So. And I, I pretty much post my articles there, so that's that's what that's used for. I think I can sum up this uh, this discussion. So find Eros in the everyday, uh, watch good movies, and overall just be normal. Yes, I like that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Amina. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the New Flesh podcast. If you like our work, please consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or even writing us a review. It really does help the show reach a wider audience. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, long live the New Flesh.